Yeah, I've often um I've often warned against the dangers of uh not frantically saving every 10 seconds when you're working <laughs> on a project. <laughs> yeah. I think there's there's really something to be said for it. Boom! I'm back. That's it's right. me. John is back. He's married now. That's Certified true. wife guy. You can add that to the list of weed guy, uh, <laughs> labor g- news guy, communist and anarchist guy. Oh shit! I uh, forgot to arm my track. Whatever. You'll just have to use the bot for that. Yeah, I'll use the bot for that. Uh, that <laughs> I'm a I'm a bot guy. I'm an audio editor guy. I'm all kinds of guys now. Adding to the list. <laughs> wearing all the hats, as some people would say. I love wearing as many hats as possible. That's my thing. Is When I show up, I think people should be able to tell everything I do just from the hats I have on. <laughs> so that's why I show up with my smoking cap and my conductor's hat and my chef's hat. And it just all stacked one on top of another. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Work Stoppage, everybody. The show about hats. Um, that's right we are your three hosts uh john lena and dan hello and we are back to talk about the biden administration cutting unemployment benefits on labor day yeah yeah you might remember labor day a couple days ago the (laughs) day that you probably worked yeah the day that you that uh (laughs) we celebrate here in the united states despite may day being the internationally recognized labor day the u.s was like well we have to give the plebs some sort of a holiday but we can't put it on the same day as all those communists who have it on the first even though a little theory about this uh, is that they the reason they put it at the end of the season is because if you because at the beginning of the season a lot of the like agriculture workers and a lot of seasonal workers are just going to work and so they're in order to like go to work that's that's May Day that's when people are getting ready to to go and and do labor and that's when you're negotiating it's when everybody should be negotiating their contracts and all that stuff right but then Labor Day is at the end of the season when you're doing like just harvest or and everybody's about to just chill out so it doesn't even matter as much to yeah. the to them if you stop working because the season's over anyway yeah it's a consolation prize it's tactically worth less than yeah, and i mean mayday a- anything they can use to detach that understanding of the global class nature of you know mm-hmm. like the struggle between the, the the proletariat and the working and the uh, ruling class. Any way to split that apart is is something that the U.S. ruling class wants to do. And speaking of stuff that the U.S. ruling class wants to do, right? So yeah, let's start let's start in on this like a little bit. I mean, we're we're discussing the, so for one the meager uh, unemployment benefits that existed, which you know right. I guess we've loosely covered. But but then to take them away on Labor Day, which they have det- they've changed it from labor as in, you know, celebrating labor, labor as in go labor uh, <laughs> yeah. day. So, I mean, right. Right. That's what they did. They just said, all right. So this is now officially go labor day. 
<laughs> yeah, like, because we've talked about on a couple of previous shows about, like, states and people have mostly run by Republican uh, legislators or governors that had cut off the federal unemployment benefit boost that was passed in the wake of COVID early as a way of trying to, you know, coax people back to work under the theory that the extra $300 a month a week in federal UI that has been, you know, going out since last March, that that's the reason that people have, that there's been a wage shortage, quote unquote, (laughs) that, that, you know, people just don't want to work. And despite, cause you'll, you, there was all these stories before this weekend a blaming Republican governors for this. Oh, they won't take the aid that the, the government is offering. It's all the Republicans fault. Right. Mysteriously, all of those voices for the most part, at least the ones in the mainstream press completely silent this weekend because of the fact that like there's been no push whatsoever from the Biden administration, from the Democrats in Congress, really from the democratic party at any level to try and extend, preserve, or even in any way fight for these additional benefits that were some of the only actual effective relief right. that was passed in the wake of COVID. The only thing that wasn't just a gigantic wealth transfer from the treasury to the ruling class. Like these were like the, the UI boost was legitimately an actually really good policy, which of course mm-hmm. seems to be the reason the Democrats are so eager to let it just die on the vine this way rather than keeping it around. Well, it's always yeah. the month later effect, right? Like this was a big Republican talking point last month. Like the, there was that segment on the, uh, with Laura Ingram on Fox News, where she says, what if we just cut off the un- unemployment? Hunger is a pretty powerful thing. And yeah. then the guy from <laughs> Bar Rescue oh, yeah. of all shows says, they only feed a military dog at night because a hungry dog is an obedient dog. Well, if we are not causing people to be hungry to work, and then it trails off. But it's like, that that's literally <laughs> like the cultural logic of yeah. the ruling class. Absolutely. And the Republicans will come out and say it, and then a month later, the Democrats will quietly we'll make it happen. will enforce it. They'll enforce it, yes. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like, so this is the, the stats and quotes and stuff from this, I got from this New York Times article, um, as well as there was a Truth Out article that was actually really good about this. But they, like, specifically, when asked about this, our supposedly so pro labor uh, labor secretary Marty Walsh, former Boston governor, or yeah, governor mayor, uh, and um, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, both said that that the Biden administration believes it's quote appropriate for this $300 a week thing to expire as scheduled. So like, it's not even, they weren't even able to completely dodge the topic and just not say anything on it. They a couple of them did have to come out and say that, yeah, no, we, we think it's a good thing to get this, get rid of this, this policy that is probably the single biggest actual U S federal policy that played a role in preventing people from slipping into poverty and my lifetime, maybe. Yeah, in in <laughs> like, living memory. But that's the thing, like, because what is this a, a response to? They're really just trying to say we don't want to raise wages. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you want people to come back to work, which is not really why they're doing this, like the government just doesn't want to spend money keeping people alive anymore. But if you really wanted people to come back to work, 
you would raise the minimum wage and right. or offer incentives or something for companies to raise their wages or just outright require them to. Right. <laughs> you know? And and we've seen like studies after study, even a Wall Street Journal study, you know, Wall Street Journal, not exactly uh -huh. a pro-labor outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and they released a study last week that showed that, uh, quote, states that had ended enhanced federal unemployment benefits early have so far seen about the same job growth as states that continued offering the pandemic-related extra aid. And that just, you know, plays into anything you can just, like, you can just talk to anybody, <laughs> you know, anybody who works. And it's not that people are just like, oh, sweet, this $300 a week means I can just not work. Like, that's not why people needed these pandemic benefits. Like, also, the reason often people were working under the table while receiving those benefits. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like many other of these benefits, it is as much to subsidize the ability of businesses to pay sub poverty wages as it is, you know, to actually help people, even if it does end up doing that. And this unemployment, like, greatly expanded, like you were saying. Uh, like you were gesturing towards, Lena, like greatly expanded the part-time sector, the informal economy, plenty of places where things like minimum wage aren't even observed in places where they yeah. do happen to be in the law because of either loopholes or just company negligence or whatever. And so they've greatly expanded pr the precarity work across the entire country during the pandemic. And now they want to remove the only safety net that's allowing some of these people to keep working, not only keep being alive, but even from like a very cynical economic view, like keep being able to live and work in this manner. Like if right. they're just pulling the rug out from their own... Uh, economic bubble, which is yeah, weird. because you need that extra three hundred bucks a month just to make these this gig work even pay the bills. Because uh, as we yeah. know, gig work does not pay the bills, right? And and every time that one of these outfits has actually gone and you know asked people like why people who are unemployed or people who haven't been able to find a job or just people who are receiving the benefits in general, that the primary issues keeping people unemployed right now are. Employers refusing to pay a minimum wage, lack mm -hmm. of access to childcare, uncertainty mm -hmm. about you know uh, healthcare, the way that yeah. uncertainty about healthcare, problems with you know the way that schools are being handled right now because there's so many differences in places that either offer remote uh, did, like learning opportunities versus places that don't, and the ability to obtain childcare if that's an option that you know. Because of how bad COVID has been, that mm -hmm. that's the thing that makes sense. So all of these issues that are consistently listed as the primary reasons why people haven't, you know, gone to go get that piece of shit like seven twenty-five an hour job at Wendy's, the government hasn't done anything to as as you were saying before. Uh, that the, they haven't done anything to address those things. It's, it's, well, no, it's, yeah, because it's just saying. Oh no no no! Fuck you! You you're not allowed to have any sort of safety net whatsoever. You are required. I mean, it it, it comes back down to the you know the the fundamental bargain of quote unquote the free sale of labor under capitalism of of mm -hmm. work or starve. Yeah, and they uh, they, they yeah. Mean well, it. I mean, that's the thing is like people keep saying uh, people don't want to work. Oh, there's so many jobs out there, and there are. There's a shitload of jobs out there that pay seven twenty five 
8, 25, 10, 11. I, you know, I have a seasonal job. It's going to be up in not too long for the last month and a half. I've been putting out feelers, putting in applications, trying to get a good interview. Only today did I finally get an interview for a job that pays 17, 16 to $17 an hour, which we all know means 16. Um, right. And, like, that's the first job that pays, like, a decent wage that, like, a 30-year-old person who might want to own a house someday can feel, like, okay working for that I've been able to find in months. And all this time, people have been saying, oh, nobody wants to work. Like, fuck you. I'm not lazy. If I were, the, if I were lazy, I would have settled for a $12 an hour job already. You know, right, right. Well, and obviously those those jobs generally require commute as well. There's all sorts of additional mm-hmm. costs, and yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about how fucking <laughs> terrible this this system is. I think that's what yeah. this podcast is about. I, mean, I guess it wouldn't be out of place. <laughs> yeah, and just like w- one last note on like the timing of this is that in addition to the you know incredibly cruel irony of this happening on Labor Day, where the, these policies expired, it's also coming right on the heels of the Supreme court, you know, overturning the eviction moratorium at a time where we've got over 1500 Americans dying every day yep. from COVID. So you're the ruling, the working class is just getting hit with, you know, blow after blow after blow at this point. And n- neither party is really proposing to do anything about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this eviction moratorium, uh, I might add that didn't even really functionally protect right. a lot of Americans because you had to know it was in practice and you had to yourself to as the it. tenant, yeah, file a, uh, I think it was a formal complaint with the government that your landlord was trying to evict you. And a lot of people didn't know they were protected by it and as such were not protected by it. And so, then your, your landlord had to accept that aid voluntarily yeah. in most yep. cases too so yeah. yeah well i mean we're as winter uh is coming up we're i mean i i don't want to to doom pill anyone but it's going to be a rough winter again mm-hmm. uh it yeah. sure is. Are, schools are going to be in person they they are like they're winning that battle and it's not going to be good Oh, they're dragging people back into the fucking office, too, in plenty of jobs where it's been proven for the last year and a half, two years, that remote working works perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, but this is why we got to actually, you know, that's why we need a mass movement to to protest all this stuff, because that's the only way we ever actually get any change out of these fucking ghouls is that if you know if we left alone to their own devices they'll do this and pull all like every single tiny scrap that the the working class has been getting in support back away from them yeah and Mm -hmm. this second story is a perfect example of that yep Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, speaking of (laughs) uh, companies and and various state entities not doing anything to help their workers uh, labor notes a couple of weeks ago put out this really good article about the conditions faced by workers in the the hotel and the hospitality industry generally during the pandemic and now because obviously one of the biggest um, industry like the biggest industries hit by covid was the tour, the greater tourism industry uh, obviously there was a ton of stories about you know cruise cruise ships but also especially you know, hotels uh, specifically this article notes that over half a million hotel workers in the U.S., as well as tens of thousands in Canada, have lost their jobs since the beginning of the pandemic last year. Uh, pre-pandemic, you had about 1.7 million hotel and motel workers in the United States and 156,000 in Canada. So you're like, that's an enormous loss. It's like a 
almost a, a, a third of, of the employees getting losing their jobs to the point where uh, Unite Here, who was one of the bigger unions of hotel workers, mentioned that 98% of its members at some point found themselves out of work at the height of the pandemic, which is a crazy number. Mm-hmm. And they even mentioned that 70% remain unemployed. And where that's coming from a lot is that while the industry has recovered somewhat, although not entirely, since the peak of COVID, the various major hotel companies that make up the, the, the biggest interests in this industry have taken the disruption caused by COVID and are not going to let an opportunity go to waste and have been using that as a way to really batter every union and, and organizing effort in the industry to further con- both consolidate their position from a oligarchic monopolistic standpoint, but then also drive their labor costs down by using the disruption of the pandemic to, you know, preferentially fire as many unionized workers as they can. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And also, I mean, uh, the way that they gradually bring people back to work as quote unquote demand requires it is entirely at their discretion. Right. And so they essentially get to stress test configurations of employees sequentially to find out how many guests they can take care of, how many rooms they can clean before they completely fucking break down. And then if they do break down, they will often just fire those employees and hire new ones and try them out. Yeah. And, and though we always hear, you know, every company in, in these situations always, you know, cries poverty and it mm-hmm. was the it was the pandemic. It just did all this damage. There's nothing we can yeah. do. And as we point out every single time, that's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's just, you know, it's weird. Every time I expect sometime there will be that rare exception where the the business owner is telling the truth and we have yet to come across it. And, and, and this example was, I thought, particularly glaring because, well, yes, there has absolutely been a big hit to, to tourism because of the COVID. Marriott, which is one of the, you know, obviously one of the largest hotel companies in the world, reported $422 million in profits just in the second quarter of this year. So... The, we have 70% of Unite Here's workforce still unemployed because of supposedly how bad the tourism industry is, yet Marriott is reporting almost half a billion dollars in profit in one quarter. And rather mm-hmm. than using that money to, you know, rehire staff to, to, to in, supposedly during a labor shortage as we've been talking about. Instead, what they've done, they've used that to monopolize their position even further. Marriott and Hilton added 661 new properties to their portfolio, which includes almost 90,000 rooms. And at the same time, have just been paying out stock dividends and, you know, try as, as Lena was saying, basically using this as an experiment in labor intensification, seeing how much work they can squeeze out of every individual employee, how mm-hmm. ragged yeah. they can run everyone that's working for them. Right. And well, I'm- Hilton, I have firsthand experience with, I was valeting outside of a, a, a Hilton subsidiary 
hotel during the middle of the pandemic in 2020 and the like three employees that they left running the entire four story hotel were run completely ragged every single day. If I had to get their attention for anything, I felt like I was interrupting like one of the worst work days I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think that, uh, and I read this a couple of days ago, so I could be partially misremembering, but I, they were also kind of going over the part of the business plan that Marriott is doing, uh, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. where they um, are one of the only people who is actually benefiting from a landlord situation. Basically, uh, making it so that they can close down and start up any sort of, of, you know, operation, uh, like especially assuming there was a union drive or something like that, they could easily dip out of the building and just leave it vacant. uh, If there was any sort of organizing going on and they, and they have been boasting that, Oh no, this is really great for us. And I don't know. I just like, I can't about if there's some way that somehow landlordism is benefiting you like that to me sounds real fucking sus. Yeah, like one of the things that a lot of these hotels have have done as as part of their adaptation to COVID, quote unquote, is ending daily room cleaning and room service for guests. And they've been basically saying, oh, well, we're doing this a they'll either alternatively argue that this is a covid measure to minimize exposure between the the guests and the staff or argue that this is just because they can't find the labor. Meanwhile, like Unite here actually looked into the numbers on this and pointed out that what they're looking at with those sorts of policies is that if they can get guests to find that to be an acceptable change that they can cut permanently their housekeeping staff by up to 39%, which would be eliminating over 180,000 jobs in this country and costing uh, those workers almost $5 billion in annual wages. So like these yeah. are... These are not, and they're, and they're lowering all the room rates in order to 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 recognize <laughs> that, right? <They're, laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's definitely something that Hilton and Marriott would definitely do. That's why they bought those six hundred sixty properties away from other smaller <laughs> flagging businesses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> definitely to yeah. to do that. De- de- definitely to you know bring the savings to you, <laughs> yeah, the consumer. Yeah, but. They had a specific example in here that I thought was was really telling from British Columbia, where there's this housekeeper there uh, at, a, at a Hilton, Valerie Bicio, who this is specifically in, in downtown Vancouver, who had worked there for 22 years. In February of this year, the hotel started, so not last year, when the pandemic really started, but in February this year, they started firing workers with up to 20 years of experience on the job. By April, they'd fired 97 staff members. And in response, the remaining workers held a one-day strike. And then in response to that, which, you know, you'd think a one-day strike is a pretty understandable response to seeing 97 of your coworkers thrown Mm -hmm. out on the street. And the response from Hilton was to lock out the rest of the staff and in and hire scabs to replace them and now these folks have been on the picket line for over 4 months wow one day strike into a, a 4 month lockout that's fucking wild yeah and 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 so the union up in Canada, the, the local 40 of, of Unite here is called for a boycott of, of Hilton in, in British Columbia, which they estimate will 
cost the company, you know, several million dollars, but so far that seems to apparently be considered to be worth it to Hilton to try and break the the union that had been working there. So we'll, right. we'll have to see how effective that is long term. Yeah. Right. Well, and then they extended it uh, in August, right, to three other hotels right. owned by the same owners. And so, I mean, at least uh, there's a clear escalation plan here. Uh, yeah. Where you just continue to to raise and raise and raise uh, awareness not to go and use Hilton hotels. Yeah, and and they pointed out. There's another example they pointed out that in there is that one of the things that a lot of these workers, even folks that haven't been laid off, have been fighting for, is that a lot of the contracts only have a certain short period of time wherein you have a basically a a first right right of first refusal uh, as far as getting rehired. And because of how long the pandemic has been at this point, a lot of those time periods, even if you were unionized, are starting to run out. So you have people who have been unemployed, but who have had that provision in their union contract that would force them to be rehired. But a lot of these hotels seem to either be planning on just permanently cutting staff through labor intensification or mm-hmm. trying to wait these folks out. Like specifically in Hawaii, there's a 12,000 member local there that's been fighting for a one year extension for those rights of, you know, recall basically. But again, they've have only run into intransigence from the, the major <coughs> hotel companies like Hilton and, and Marriott. And so like, this is one of, I think, the most blatant examples we've seen of the ways that companies are using the pandemic to really try and increase their profits while at the same time, you know, crying poverty and a labor shortage. Yeah. 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 Taking it. Well, yeah. I mean, they've figured out how to, uh, how to not just exploit like, uh, laborers labor, but the very like cultural image of their labor is now being yeah. exploited as well. Like crying about not having the workers that they need. Meanwhile, they're just sitting like a fucking dragon on stacks and stacks and stacks of government money, profits, you know, everything. Yeah. Um, keeping with the, uh, the theme of extreme exploitation under the pandemic mm-hmm. for, for this yeah. episode. Yeah. And then also with our, our kind of trend of covering like farm workers is, which is something that we cover. I feel like we cover that like in over in like 50% of our episodes. I mean, we try to, they're a really underrepresented working group yeah. in the United States uh, because a lot of them don't have the same rights that other workers do. And so their struggles don't have as good of a chance to make it to the news, but also because a lot of them tend to not be American citizens and tend to not be white. So they just right. do not get the same media coverage in the united states that other workers tend to we profile like like really egregious work conditions here Mm -hmm. as often as we can and that's why they end up in here so often because the way they are treated is absolutely fucking terrible and in this story we're actually covering uh, migrant tobacco workers who have not only uh experienced the same kind of you know intensification that other farm workers have had uh but they've also been dealing with uh nicotine poisoning which you know some of the workers have been have been like dealing with and you know they say that you know some some of the workers deal with it some of them are are more able to deal with it but the fact that anyone's having to deal with it is a problem because these uh farms 
that are the owners of the farms don't do shit about it. Um, and then not even to mention like the, the immigration issues are like H2, H2As and, and other sorts of visas that have caused many people lots of uh, problems with being tied to their employer and, and things like that. Yeah, well, and if, let's say you get, uh, you're get you a migrant worker and you get nicotine poisoning from harvesting tobacco. Uh, do you have an opportunity to like go to the hospital for your vomiting, dehydration, and insomnia? In many cases, you don't, or you don't feel comfortable using that opportunity to go to the hospital. Um, and these are workers who, like it says at the beginning of the article, uh, work under the red hot sun in the middle of the day for up to 12 hours a day and are expected to bring their own buckets filled with water and ice. Like, I mean, That's I've had bullshit. some negligent workplaces, but even the most negligent workplace provided water on a hot day. Like, obviously, as you were saying before, Lena, like we cover a lot of stories about how hyper exploited agricultural workers are, but like not even providing water for farm workers like even that, that you're sounds poisoning. like yeah, that I'm like even under US law that sounds like it should be illegal but mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately I'm assuming it probably isn't cuz and like you were saying like that's one of the interesting things about this story is that for the tobacco industry it seems that while pretty much every agricultural industry in this country uses heavily uses migrant labor largely as a way to get you know the most exploitable workforce that they can one of the things that was interesting about this is the high, incredibly high use of legal H-2A visa workers. And they mentioned that in North Carolina, basically a full half of those visas go to tobacco pickers uh, who, so they're, they are in the country legally. However, one of the things that's interesting about the H-2A system is that in some ways it's a little bit similar to or at least slightly reminded me, at least in one aspect of the kafala system, which we talked about a while ago, because the H-2A visa is employer-specific. So you have to have a, a like, employer sponsor for your visa. And since you're dependent on that single employer for that visa, if you get fired or if, you know, that company decides that you've complained too much, you can get sent back to your home country. And so while nominally these workers do have some protection because they mention in here that H-2A workers in North Carolina do have access to union representation to the Farm Labor Organizing Committee, but the conditions under which those folks are organizing are, have all of the incredible difficulties that already exist for agricultural workers. But then additionally, you have this like extra sort of tension hanging over a lot of these folks where even though they are in the country legally and so they don't have to worry about necessarily, you know, I like getting reported to ice or something like we've seen a, a lot of workers have to legitimately be concerned about. They still do have that issue where if your employer decides, Hey, this person's, you know, being a bit too disruptive on the, the, on the, the work site, they can just decide to basically revoke the visa. And, and so you have that extra layer of fear still there, even if it's not quite the same as right. for a lot of undocumented folks. Well, and when yeah. you have people who are subjugated under that level of like job specific precarity where like they have to make one very specific employer happy or their entire like ability to be in a certain place might be revoked. 
you run into like incredible abuses of power, of course, because who's going to check on this? This agricultural, right. this this you know the. These the documentation of these laborers is as formal as the agricultural labor market even gets in some cases. Right. And so, like, you have one worker from Guatemala who's quoted in here as saying, one of the biggest abuses to workers' rights was sexual harassment. They would take advantage since they had to take people to work and return them to their homes. And when you're granting a private entity uh, that's just run by a bunch of probably already rich people and their families, uh, the ability to just completely unilaterally oversee migrant workers' entire lives while they're here, there's going to be like really gross <laughs> and, and horrible abuses of power up to and including uh, sexual abuses. Yeah, all of these things really outline how, especially under capitalism, borders are violence. Like that, that oh, is yeah. that is just absolutely the the way that these workers are exploited is actually part of the system. It is designed to be this way. If if the United States had any like want to to stop this these sorts of abuses, they could easily do it. They oh, just there is yeah. no no interest in in actually taking care of these people um and and or or doing anything to to better their their work conditions or their well, life conditions. their donors agricultural magnates like win elections for many federal politicians just with their money yeah and and i mean they point out all the different ways that the these folks rights get chipped away at like they mentioned that like they're not even they're not provided masks they're not provided gloves Mm -hmm. the, and they basically like a lot of these folks have to use garbage bags to cover their bodies while they're working to try and avoid the exposure to the tobacco that would cause tobacco poisoning. But if you're doing that in a North Carolina tobacco field, yeah, I, I don't know how you're avoiding heat stroke doing that. So like, those are the choices these folks have to make with your while, buckets of ice water that you were forced to provide yourself. Right. And and what technically these folks, because they're here on legal visas, can appeal to the State Department of Labor and the Federal uh, Department of Labor in the case of wage theft issues. But because both of those agencies are chronically, purposefully underfunded, it can take a lot it can of time. Take weeks for even the initial response to a complaint. And especially they mentioned that if a worker makes a complaint during the last week of the harvest season, which may feel like the safest time to do so, if you're on one of these visas, then they said most of the time, basically that the, even a well-meaning, you know, some person working at one of those departments of labor an inspector doesn't have the opportunity to get out to a site and investigate the claim and, and go into it and, and conduct an effective investigation. And even in the case of workers who do have access to the Farm Labor Organizing Committee's assistance, that organization has been specifically under attack in North Carolina for the past few years because they, they passed a law there in 2017 that bans farmers from voluntarily deducting union dues from workers' paychecks. So even if you got an employer, which I can't imagine there was a ton of these places that were willing to do this, Right. But even if you got one of these, you know, gigantic tobacco agribusiness companies to say, yeah, sure, whatever, we'll go ahead and take the union dues, just we'll we'll do that piece of accounting for you. It's now illegal <laughs> to do that because of this law that was passed in North Carolina, one of the main sponsors of which state senator Brent Jackson owns a farm that has documented H2A visa violations. Oh, imagine that. It's just, I yeah. mean, like, 
It's not surprising at all. We 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 see this all the time, as the as the saying yeah. goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where each individual one of these stories, I'm like, this isn't surprising. But every time, like the the hotel industry, and also this this one, every time we read something about the agricultural industry, just seeing all of these things combine, I think, really emphasizes how. And we we see this with gig workers too, like how like kind of gig work and and agricultural work. I are kind of at the forefront of all of the, like a convergence basically of the, all the different specific types of oppression and exploitation that we see on the U S labor market. Right. Well, and, and I mean, without being able to deduct union dues for one, that means that the workers themselves are required to like write a check to the union, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that's incredibly difficult, but then yeah, not, not, not only that, but if, if say people were to, you know, not do that because, you know, it's, they're incredibly overworked. They don't have time. They end up, you know, you put stuff off sometimes. And maybe that was, maybe that in some cases is the union dues. It actually sucks from the funding that the union needs in order to do the things that protect these workers who are being incredibly exploited. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're literally just telling you like, they're throwing a wrench in the gears of the union when they do that, because it's like a union is meant to make things run more smoothly and better in a sustainable manner. And then they're saying, okay, look, this thing that the union was going to do for you to, to make this other shit they were going to do for you possible. Now you have to do it yourself and you have to remember right. to do it. It's another anxiety on your plate. And I, I mean, I, it's, it's in a way it's a savvy political move. Like they know that people's anxiety about wh- did I turn in my union check on time is going to make them resent the union in some right. part of their mind. Uh, and that's just that's horrible and dishonest, like incredibly on its face. Yeah, and I don't understand, like, ha, like, that make it illegal to take out union dues from a check. That just sounds like that sounds like you're you're hampering the freedoms of the business owner, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that was the one aspect of it that surprised me because I'm like, I know this is an attack on labor, but at the same time, I'm like, you are restricting what other businesses can do, which is I'm like, man, that's a, a level of fervence in the yeah. hatred for unions that you're willing to restrict the rights of your fellow, you know, members of the bourgeoisie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because like a lot of this stuff gets touted as being like libertarian. Like, and everybody imagine right. like, oh, Texas, that's the most libertarian state in the union. And like, it's actually one of the most restrictive because if you want to uphold a conventional, quote unquote, classical liberal libertarian ideal, you basically have to start restricting people left and right to keep them from stopping you <laughs> from putting <laughs> yeah. a sensible plan in place. <laughs> Speaking of bending over backwards and doing weird shit to, uh, you know, try and stop people from unionizing. Oh, yeah. We've got a story about a company that I hadn't heard of, but is apparently... One, one of, of the, the biggest, <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of the biggest players in the logistics company in the world. Uh, this is a, a company. Well, that's the, the, the weird part is there's two companies now, oh boy. Uh, both of which are kind of hard to remember because their names are so fucking generic. Uh, the, this story is, this is from the real news. And this is about uh, one company that is now to XPO logistics, which now has a subsidiary slash spinoff called gxo logistics <laughs> so oh boy. 
it, very easy to remember these three letter acronyms. Um, but well, so I've these, seen, I've seen, I've seen expo trucks before, but I, okay. this GXO thing, I, I've not heard it. it must, is that, is this is the newer version? This yeah. Is that, like, G- that's GXO uh, is the new one. That's Gex O negative. The shoegaze <laughs> Gex ROM hack. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so so these companies, XPO and GXO, are basically logistics contracting firms. So they run warehouses and distribution centers for other major companies. So obviously we, we you know we with with logistics and this sort of thing, we hear about Amazon all the time, and Amazon obviously does have its own warehouses, but we also know they love to use subcontractors and that's where XPO and now GXO comes in. So XPO has been one of the biggest uh, logistics companies for a while. GXO, this new spinoff was recently made, went public uh, just last month and, but has 94,000 employees at almost 900 locations. They do contract logistics work for Amazon, Home Depot, Ikea, Nestle, Peloton, Starbucks, Target, Verizon, Walmart. So, like, the biggest companies out there. Peloton. And, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Peloton being on there is not, yeah, that one was a I don't was, know was what like, that is. That's, an, that's what I don't know. It, it's, the, a piece of, it's a piece of uh, exercise equipment that you can buy for your home that comes pre-haunted by a malicious spirit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes, that's actually an incredibly accurate description, which I will not be expanding on or correcting at all. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll take um, it at that value. Yeah. But so the reason that we're talking about these companies is that one of the things we've talked about before with the warehouse industry, specifically in the case of Amazon, but all the same stuff applies here, has been obviously the recent surge in the use of automation. And so a big part of why GXO got spun off from XPO is that the they wanted to consolidate their specific warehouse business into one business unit for, I don't know, uh, flexibility or some bullshit. But mm-hmm. one of the things that a GXO executive in here specifically talked about with regards to their business model and why they use so much automation I just thought it was really interesting the way he phrased it, which was, quote, if you think about labor inflation, it causes customers to want to automate more. It means more robotics. <laughs> customers want to automate. Interesting. Well, step one, if you think about labor inflation. <laughs> step two, I don't know. Step three, <laughs> profit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't well, understand at all what he's saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like, Real. It, this is uh, obviously they're like, well, we need to cut costs. We need to, uh, you know, automate this labor away. But you know what's really interesting? That kind of is. Uh, and I talked to Dan about this the other evening about the ways that capitalism will only like lower the amount of of work that is necessary to be done, uh, only if it's you know convenient for them to stop using cheap labor like all of this could be automated already we actually could have this be automated there would be people not working in these shitty jobs that would be fine maybe under a different system but like that when when in the nature of the state episodes when i was talking about like um about 
um, abolishing work, obviously this is this is like what I'm talking about. Like the the way that capitalism structures things versus the way that it could be structured is that we could be doing this sort of automation already. We could be actually doing this sort of thing to put people in positions that are less intense. Maybe, you know, give them better wages for less intense work. What a concept. Uh, <laughs> but but no, right. only only when these rich motherfuckers say, I need a couple more stacks in my bank account, uh, that's when we actually lower the intensity of labor. Yeah, well, they won't. That's the thing is like they're they're just operating based on like the simple fact that they're always trying to maximize profit and minimize uh, labor costs and set precedents to always be minimizing labor costs because they'll either do this weird technocratic mumbo jumbo pretending to understand economics crap or they'll do like weird Silicon Valley uh, mindfulness inspirational Steve Jobs like kind of presentation but it like it's literally just updated aesthetic versions of the good old 1930s, 1950s, like typical businessman sensibility. You got to tighten your belt and batten down the hatches. There will be sacrifices. Heads will roll, you know? And like, that's just a way of like basically getting excited for fucking over employees of a company, no matter which way you slice and dice it. I really wish we used the original interpretation of heads rolling because... You know, that was originally a little bit about the old choppy boy. The well, the, gu- the guillotine well, got misused even as the object that it was, not even as the the metaphorical object of language. So, And so the reason that we're mentioning this company, and part of the reason that I suspect they decided to spin this off, mm-hmm. is that XPO, the former parent company of GXO, has long for the past, at least the past several years, been widely criticized by its workers and specifically by the Teamsters for its incredibly anti-worker policy, which I'm sure will shock our listeners to hear about in the warehouse industry. In logistics. (laughs) Yeah, they've specifically pointed out uh, complaints from workers of safety issues, which we've seen everywhere in the logistics industry. Mm Mm-hmm. Shitty COVID-19 responses, profiteering by the company during the pandemic, discrimination, wage theft, and retaliation for union organizing. <laughs> like the Teamsters have just the Teamsters have filed dozens of unfair labor practices against XPO in the past. And they they list a whole bunch of examples. Like in February of 2019, XPO shuttered one of their own warehouses in Memphis where several workers had miscarriages on the job after being denied accommodations while pregnant. What the fuck? Which, like, you know that you have done some fucked up shit when you have to close the goddamn warehouse because of how abusive your labor practices are to basically, you know, run away from whatever, even probably still, unfortunately, mild legal consequences that would draw. Oh yeah, yeah. It, no, it's appalling. Yeah, I don't even have words for that. Like, if <laughs> if someone's pregnant, you they, yeah, it's, they, they should be that? on leave. Like, they should be on leave. Yeah, they should be on leave. <laughs> yeah, if, if they I want. <laughs> yeah. Um. <clears throat> obviously, as we have pointed out in the past, the U.S., despite its you know claim to be the the world's richest nation, uh, is also one of the only countries on earth that doesn't have mandated maternity leave, Mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, 
seems like something a reasonable society would have, but there has been no real strong push outside of things like the pro act to do. Uh, but there, there's a, there's a good quote in here from uh, a campaign coordinator from the teamsters, Greg Chalkley, who said, it doesn't matter what letters of the alphabet they use to designate the company, the way they treat workers and treat unionization is all the same. They're going to battle as hard as they can to remain union free. We were fortunate to have bargaining units, workers and local unions who had the fortitude to stick together long enough to actually bring around a couple of agreements, which we're thrilled about. And they're historic in every way. We hope to add a couple more to that, but and the, the the article, you know, goes on to mention some examples where the Teamsters have been successful there, but XPO and GXO have both really kind of, since the pandemic started, ramped up efforts to push back against labor organizing, which automation is absolutely a part of that push because mm-hmm. they talk about how efficient the automation is, but as we've mentioned, and as there's a ton of studies on the more you use current automation tech in these warehouses, the rate of injuries to people working there goes through the roof. Like Amazon, mm-hmm. I believe, has a double its the injury rate at its automated warehouses to its less automated warehouses, and there's no reason to really expect that that's any different here. Right, because they're not. And, sa- there's no safety measures on these things. They're designed to do one thing, and, the, and if it plows through someone's forehead, then that's what it does. Yeah. Yeah. And and they specifically mention in here that at places that have had union drives, they've had a bunch of different warehouses just start using temporary labor to try and split up the workforce. They had a quote in here from one of the workers there, Parcos Fesagaiga, at a facility in Washington, who said, quote, it almost seems like management were actually making policies to be divisive on purpose. <laughs> There's no bonus incentive for us as full-time employees. All we basically got was a raffle. It was like another spit in our face. We've been here to teach and train the temps what to do when they're getting the same wages as us, so it pitted us against them. And it's they they have example after example. It's it's the same stuff we hear all, you know, all the time. Captive audience meetings, friendly supervision being fired, management patrolling their shifts to keep people from talking about organizing while on the job. Like these companies who are like, I guess some of the biggest players in the logistics field that most people haven't heard of are reproducing basically all of the same anti-union shit that we see in every other major company, Mm -hmm. especially like, like it's not so like while Amazon is, you know, the biggest company in the country and, and, and has obviously should be nationalized and, and has many, many horrific examples of their awful anti-worker practices. This is endemic like throughout these companies yeah it's not unique to amazon like we can point out that they're especially egregious but like when we say twice as bad it's twice as bad as as this and even now it's like almost the same you know if they're going to be doing all of this automation stuff i mean there there is not is there are no good conditions yeah well and the more that these companies integrate with and eventually basically just become entirely client companies for larger distributors like Amazon. Uh, These situations are only going to get worse unless there's an absolutely militant labor movement to fight back against them because the macroeconomic forces are not going to change anytime soon anyway that continue to compel these companies to put their workers at increased danger for decreased pay and decreased benefits. Right. Yeah. 
And, and, and that's one of the big reasons why, you know, these big companies love to use these contracting firms. It's not just mm-hmm. that it, you know, saves them on having to deal with labor, but it gives them that level of basically plausible deniability of, oh, we're not the ones creating these horrible conditions. We're not in control of that. That's the contractor's fault. And that's, that's like one of the things that these incredibly generic, very easily forgettable named contracting companies that nobody ever he- hears about. That's one of the thing the values that they provide to these companies is that level of plausible deniability. deniability. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like, so, I mean, like, let, let's go again. I'm going to re- reference the nature of the state episode, but specifically <laughs> the Gramsci episode. I mean, when we go back to that list, Amazon, Home Depot, Ikea, Nestle, I mean, like all of these companies are all part of this same like scheme coordinated by this expo logistics and then jexo uh logistics as well like all these like they they are all one big entity that is the entity of the state like these are these people are doing like statecraft through this through creating these horrible conditions and exploiting people constantly like yeah so there's there's several ongoing union drives at at facilities owned by both these companies by the teamsters so this will definitely be xpo and gxo are, are names to to watch going forward because like as we have we talked about in the past you know the logistics industry overall has an enormous amount of power as we've seen with i mean supply chain problems have been hitting so many industries ford is shutting down its production of cars in the united states because of supply chain issues so and that's just shit that's happening as a result of the pandemic like a coordinated strike is the most terrifying thing to these people. That's why they're so anti-union. So we'll have to keep an eye on, you know, the Teamsters efforts with these folks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Absolutely. in this next story, we head on over to Oakland, not California, not Pittsburgh, but Mich- Michigan, I guess. Yes. Oakland, Oakland University. <laughs> Oakland Michigan, University yeah. in Michigan, which actually this is one I had not heard of. Yeah. So obviously, you know, like we always try and close with, a happier story. So we've got a victorious strike here with the faculty at Oakland University, which I was looking at this not being as familiar with Michigan. I don't know if it is cons- where this university is is considered a suburb of Detroit or not. It that's what it seemed like on the map, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, probably. I mean, like I I have a pretty uh, loose definition of that stuff. I I think that like if if you know people uh, commute there and back it's a suburb oh yeah it's it's out by rochester hills so yeah it's detroit greater metro area basically these folks this was a a pretty quick strike basically the workers at oakland university the faculty who are organized with the american association of university professors had been trying to negotiate a new contract and the university despite getting a shitload of state and federal assistance came back to them and said, uh, how about y'all take a salary freeze and a whole bunch of benefit cuts that essentially would, um, end up cutting your wages overall. That seems fair, right? (laughs) No. And I believe that they also said no to that, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, they said specifically Karen Miller, president of the OU chapter of the American Association of University Professors, said Oakland is using the pandemic as a pretext to cut faculty compensation and exert control over academic programs, which is uh, well said. I imagine a lot of universities in the United States are doing the same thing. 
consolidation of power during a crisis. Imagine that. I mean, that's like one of the biggest crises of our educational system that doesn't really get talked about because like we their student debt is kind of more pressing, but like the amount of like administrative exploitation of staff and faculty is flies like unfortunately very much under the radar for most of the country. Yeah, well I mean I know that we we definitely have listeners out there who are maybe if not part of an organizing effort at a at a university but or or maybe thinking of getting one off the ground or or are you know doing little things about about that. I mean like that's the thing there are a lot of people out there who are interested in in doing these these actions, and college is actually a place to get some of that done. Well, I mean, we covered it a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they mentioned, uh, Miller uh, continued just to point out that they, while there was a wage freeze at the beginning of the pandemic, since state and federal aid has come in, Oakland University had restored administrative pay to the pre-pandemic levels, but then told all the faculty, no, 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 you got to take, you got to take a benefit cut to get a new contract. And so like, like you were saying, the, the union yeah, said, fuck fucked. that. And they went out on strike. And so the first two days of classes that were supposed to be happening last week didn't end up happening <laughs> because, uh, the whole campus was on strike. They had, a, a some interviews in, in this article this is a Detroit news article where they had talked to a few students, uh, like a sophomore nursing student, Allison Kemp, who said, quote, it's sad. I feel bad for what's happening to the faculty. I understand why they're striking. I would, too, if I was in their position. At the same time, I feel bad for the students because they're ripping our education away from it. You don't want professors who are underpaid and you don't want students not getting a quality education. Right. Which is true. And that's why everyone, you know, was rightfully mad at the university in this case yeah that's why you just pay the teachers better or give them their benefits back or give them better benefits or whatever and get everybody back on track yeah which which it appears is what ended up happening we didn't end up getting i I wasn't able to find the details of the contract but uh after just two days out on strike the university came back to the bargaining table with the union and they reached an agreement and so as such, the university went back, the professors uh, went back to work and they were able to start classes this week. So that's the thing, like we talk about all the time, you know, the impact of a lot of these really long strikes because they mm-hmm. end up getting, because it's impressive when, you know, somebody's able to maintain uh, a, a strike for a really long period of time. But that one of the things that I think you'll see sometimes with more conservative even pro labor groups will be like this caution about going on strike because, Oh, if it takes too long, it could be devastating, but it's like even just two days. And I know obviously not every environment is the same as, as faculty at a university, but just two days of having to completely shut down operations forced this university back to the table. And, and which just really emphasizes how powerful of a tool the strike is. Yeah. Well, and uh, the fact that they struck for the first two days of the return to school, I think is really, really critical uh, that it's not necessarily just like which, how many days you strike, how many hours, but like know your industry, know what times are critical and value valuable to them and know which times will get them the most pushback from concerned parties. Like I have to imagine, uh, teachers and and staff striking on the first two days of the return to school uh, 
instigated a flood of angry letters from parents who just paid their kids tuition right. to the heads of schools saying, you need to fix this right the fuck now. And like understanding all of the dynamics at play there can make a two day strike as valuable as any random 20 day strike in the middle of the school year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So really the message here is folks strikes work, do more of them. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> and, and, and just in striking, just like everything else work smarter, not harder. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, segue free meme review. <laughs> yeah, meme review time. It's, it's time. It's, <laughs> oh, would you look at the time? It's the meme review. Uh, yeah. That's sorry, right. the whistle. You know what the music means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this first one is uh, is a picture of a uh, vampire with a stake in his chest. Yeah, that's a, a Dracula. In a, in a casket. Sure. That, that's, a, that's a Dracula. <laughs> yeah, I believe this is this is specifically a picture of a of a deceased dracula <laughs> oh well uh, yes. and- the the top text which is the only text in this meme is this is the only staking capitalism that the working class needs which is that's a right, straight folks. through the heart that's right bella lugosi was trying to tell us that when he formed sag aftra sure. <laughs> <laughs> sure we'll go with that but yeah business unionism bullshit there is no shared stake uh, you know the other kind of stake <laughs> between the working class and the bosses yeah there is only struggle that's right that's right i mean like this next one even uh you know brings that brings to light and you know what i love about this next meme is that it's a classic format it's it's the black <laughs> it's the black box with bottom white text and a photo you it's know, you 2008 might, you, yeah, it's, yeah you might recognize it from what was it it's like darth vader in the middle of a of a lake pouring a brita walt water filter is like oh, what yeah. the fuck is going on <laughs> well it's this is originally from those like the demotivational posters right. format okay yeah, okay yeah. yeah that's right that's right well, demotivational the, wow unearthing memories right now <laughs> uh the the caption on this one which well i guess i should say the photo first the photo is actually uh just one of textile workers just some just some regular uh seven eight year old six six seven eight year old textile Three workers. adolescent textile workers yep one of <laughs> yeah. them not even wearing shoes yeah uh, uh and the the bottom text on that is uh the free market if you don't think free enterprise is a good idea just remember this until the government got involved these kids had jobs it's true <laughs> the worst Enterprising part about this young is, children the worst part about this is like i feel like we need to follow this up with the guy wearing the t-shirt where it's like satire requires a clarity of purpose <laughs> lest it be mistaken for and contribute to that which it intends to criticize because i bet if i showed this meme to my dad he would be like yeah you know what we don't work kids as hard as we should anymore. Uh, (laughs) And like, you know, uh, just to bring in a meme that I saw in my personal life, which is that I drove by two different Burger Kings and they each have signs up that on one side say, uh, looking for a great job. No, you can't get paid in burgers. Typical bullshit. A little bit revolting, but the other side says ages fourteen and up. Uh huh. Oof. Yeah. They yeah want, I, I'm familiar with that. They one. want fourteen year old kids to flip your burgers now because they they can't convince anybody else to do it for nine dollars an hour. Yeah. Well, they're really. I've seen the the intensification of, of child labor recently. Mm-hmm. Really, it's it's definitely happening. Although, uh, in those in those fast food jobs, because I worked at a McDonald's when I was young. Um, 
until you're 16 or something like that, you're not allowed to work like the grills. Like basically these people end up on like the assembly line for assembling sandwiches. Um, like are the, the grabbers, the, the people who get all the stuff and put it in the bags and all that. And that's, that's what they're, um, legally able to, to make children do for seven twenty five. All right. High school kids, assembly line, one random, uh, 35 year old alcoholic. You're on grill and all the retirees on the register. (laughs) Let's we're ready to open. (laughs) That is exactly right. Oh my gosh. And so this next one uh is very much a a timely one with with as we were saying at the top of the episode, Labor Ah, Day coming around. So this is one of those progression memes. uh, Kind of the the same galaxy memes. The galaxy brain memes. Yeah. It's the same format as the galaxy brain, where you've got four pictures and four captions in the top one. This is the, the progression here starts Labor Day in the U.S. marks the end of summer and is a time for sales. And you just got this kind of goofy looking guy in the other in the next one. Next one. Labor Day was inspired by a strike for the eight hour day on September 5th, 1882. And you see so you've got a, a an IWW picture in the next one with a guy with a shield that says one big union. Mm-hmm. And the third one, Labor Day was created as a national holiday by anti-union president Grover Cleveland at the urging of robber barons to make Americans forget about May Day. And you've got another picture of, you know, the the strong arms crossed worker like yeah. standing there in, in the third picture. Soviet then, realist Chad Longshoreman iron worker right. boilermaker man. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one, you've got the picture of basically all of the oppressed workers getting together and raising their fists at the same time and it forming one giant fist captioned labor day only exists because capitalists were terrified by the 1894 Pullman strike and needed to make concessions to the labor movement to save their own skins. We should celebrate all of our struggles and, and victories and make every day labor day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you know, don't work on labor day. So, you know, it's time to strike. That's yeah. the other thing that's so frustrating about U.S. Labor Day is that so many people don't even have it off. Like the the most exploited workers in the system don't get Labor Day off. Oh hell no! Service industry workers don't get it. Agricultural workers sure as shit don't get it. And oh, people yeah. who work in retail, hospitality, yeah, uh, yeah retail, Service you work. don't get it. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, you know, some stuff has got to stay open. But the fact that like those people aren't all, you know, mandated to be making double you know, time or dub- anything yeah, like that. Double time. Yeah, absolutely. Is fucked. Yeah. And then the last two are, you know, they're pleasant. They're simple. They're like <laughs> solid background critter and some text. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The first hey. one is just a Gretzuko. A Gretzuko. Am I saying that right? From the Netflix series. Um, the the like yeah, chibi the, the heavy metal tanuki lady who works in an office and it just says reminder take your pto that's right <laughs> because uh a lot of it doesn't roll over my aunt who is a federal employee uh almost forgot to take her pto and had to schedule 11 days of pto in the 20 something days before her pto was set to expire so uh don't forget to do that folks yeah fuck yeah get paid yeah, to not abs- be at work yeah, don't yeah. don't give your time to the company for free, which is basically what you're doing if you don't take your PTO. If if that's, you actually get PTO, that's yeah. exactly right. You're giving your boss a gift, and uh, they don't need gifts from you. They're you already stealing from, from you that. in so many other ways. No need to help them out. That's yeah. right. And the second and this, one is a copybara. <laughs> is this, this like is actually this is like made a, 
this is made by our friend who hangs out with us in in uh in vibe chat so shout oh, shout out sick. to pat um hell yeah so this is like the play on the Gadsden flag, right? Like instead of Snick. <laughs> this is there's an alligator. <laughs> the, originally there was an alligator on this one because I think that there's like a some sort of communist thing because it's like it's got the red background, obviously not the yellow background, right? Um, and this one just has the capybara because we're following up on our capybara series because hell yeah, <laughs> that's yes. just a good thing to do. Uh, Best bottom text on this one is just fuck around and find out. I mean, that's right. That's right. Because we support the class war being waged by the capybaras against rich assholes in gated communities in Argentina who have been encroaching on their their lands. Exactly. I mean, and capybaras literally uh, operate within the animal kingdom, at least pretty much entirely off of the power of solidarity. They're known to be chill with almost every animal that lives in their environment, including animals you would typically associate like as predators like alligators and crocodiles so uh capybaras are just that cool with everybody and even they know like these rich people in argentina can go fuck themselves who was your grandfather where was he in 1935 (laughs) (laughs) what position did he hold in the peron administration and how many nazis did they help (laughs) smuggle into the country exactly Well, I guess on that note, we are going to end the episode on accusations of, uh, well, I mean, no, in illuminating of the, the crimes of Argentina in support of the Nazis. Uh, but, but anyway, yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being a listener. If you're a patron, we appreciate that too. If you can, give us $5 a month over there at patreon.com slash workstoppage. Uh, I mean... We do this show every week, and the way that it gets done is by y'all helping us out. We really appreciate it. Uh, join the Discord. It'll be a link in the um, description of the episode. There's tons of cool stuff in there. You'll actually get to uh, get this fuck around and find out Capybara for your own personal use. You can go ahead oh. and, and just post it right on any like any Chud's uh, Facebook page or whatever. Uh, <laughs> give us... Get, get, <laughs> <laughs> give us a five-star review uh give john's other podcast a five-star review bb blood give dan's podcast red game table a five-star review uh you know all these people they just just hand them out just hand just hand out the five-star reviews <laughs> uh follow us on twitter at work stoppage pod bother dan over there make sure to add him a bunch of times <laughs> um and you know as always labor peace is not in our interest Solidarity for around and find out. That's yeah, right. Fuck around and find out. <laughs> Solidarity, everybody.
Thank you. 